Hello and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Steve Ruby from the 606 Club. So time to walk down some famous jazz stairs and get a groove on. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to episode 2 of series 5 of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. And welcome to you wherever you are in the world. And if you're a first time listener, you're most welcome. Now, on our national leaderboard, since I've been looking at my listening statistics, we're getting fantastic numbers in Newcastle, Bristol, Sheffield, St Helens, Liverpool. But where are my Oxford or indeed my Middlesbrough massives? And continuing my global listener analysis, it's nice to have you on board from Finland, Ireland, Latvia, Hungary, Greece, Bolivia, Colombia. But then again, where are all the Canadians? And don't even start me on Africa. Poor show. But big shout outs to all of our wonderful listeners, wherever you are in the world. And it's it's really great to have you on board. Next, if you haven't visited WatfordJazzJunction.com yet, why not? How on earth will you find links to our fantastic live free video by the Emma Smith Quartet, let alone be able to book tickets to see live shows with the Chris Ingham Quartet in October and the Tofi Kofi Quintet in the new year? Now, let's get down to business. Today, I must say I'm rather excited to be in conversation with a fabulous musician, a collaborator and Jazzland club-owning legend, a player of flute and saxophone, a wearer of a chef's hat, well, once upon a time, one of the original cats of the Chelsea jazz scene and the reason behind why Lotts Road is more famous than the King's Road, in Jazzland, a master of spotting and supporting talent, a veritable vertebrae in the UK jazz scene, it can only be the fantastic Steve Ruby. Steve, hello, how are you? Hi, um, yeah, not too bad, thank you. Surviving, un- surviving under the strain of it all, I think is the way to put that, but it's fine, it's good. I can only imagine, and we'll, we'll come to that. Where, where in the world are you? Oh, I'm sitting in my office in Lotts Road, in, in that very famous road that you've just mentioned in Jazzland. So I'm, I'm still, um, because uh, all, all my staff have been on furlough for almost a year, pretty much, um, I'm it. So I, come, I still have to come into work every day. And as I like to point out, I am chief cook and bottle washer at the moment. So that is just me. So I think that... That's often the nature in, in, in jazz, but God bless you for, for keeping it going. Um, now, for those that can't see the image that I can see, I can see the lovely Steve in front of me, but I've also got a secret, a secret vision into his world. So I can see microphones and files, but best of all, an enormous portrait of the wonderful Charlie Parker hanging just behind him. It doesn't get more jazz. It certainly doesn't. Now, <laughs> so for people who may not know... And you will appreciate there may be one or two in our in our global listener listenerhood. Um, where is the six oh six? What's it all about? And uh, and how come you ended up owning it? What's the story? Oh, okay. Um, so currently we are, as you mentioned, in Lots Road. It's ninety nine zero Lots Road, which is where we are now. Which confuses people because it's called the six oh six club, and we're at number ninety. So right. yeah. So to start to begin at the beginning, um, it was originally at six oh six Kings Road. So uh, uh, people think that I started it. That's not actually the case. I, I took it over in 1976 when I was very young. And I was people laugh when I said that, but I was genuinely very young. And um, it's wow. a whole story. It was, a, it was running as a music kind of venue in a small basement in, uh, in the Kings Road, 606 Kings Road. And I used to go there as a young musician. In fact, I first went there when I was still at school. Um, and then when I left university... I studied to be a dentist and then when I left university I kind of needed a job because I then decided I was going to study music. You mentioned that I play flute and sax and I studied flute at Trinity yeah. uh, College in London. 
And so I needed a, a, a job and I walked into the club one, just have a play and a hang. It was very tiny. It was tiny. It was very small. It's a tiny club. And uh, it was licensed, well, eventually licensed for 30 people. So I walked in one day and there was a guy called Steve who used to own it. Um, and he came up to me and said, I need a chef, I need someone to cook. Have you any idea who could do that? And I said, yeah, I could do that. So that's, <laughs> so I don't know if anybody remembers the show called Boys from the Black stuff. But anyway, so I said, yeah, I can do that. So I did. So I ended up cooking there for about 18 months while I paid for my college almost two years. And then I left and was going to work as a professional musician. And I went back there one day in 1976. And this Steve said he was setting up and moving to France. And did I want to take it over because I kind of knew how it ran because I'd worked there before. And I said, not a chance, not a chance. You, are you mad? Seriously? And that was, well, in 1976. And I got persuaded by my partner at the time to take it on. And, um, and the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. That is a serious story. Love it. So let me um, jump you forward a bit and we'll go backwards and forwards. But right now, the pandemic must have had a, a serious punch on the, old, on the old finances and, you know, just ability to, to keep, the, keep the faith. I mean, what, what have you been doing to, to keep going? Well, I mean, yeah, it's been tough as it has for everyone. I mean, I don't think it's been any better or worse for us than it has for, for all the other venues um, who've been so seriously mm. affected. We have the advantage of, of being a mature venue. I mean, you know, we've been in the present building we are now in Lots Road since 1980. Well, we moved here in 87 and opened in 88. So, you know, over 30 years. And that helps in these circumstances because, you know, we, we've... We've got people who we've built up quite a big following of people who who are kind of been happy and prepared to help us, which has been great. Um, getting things like funding, which is something I never done before, but because um, we've always been commercially viable. But obviously, having that kind of track yeah. record is is helpful. And and just having been around that long means we have access to to finances that 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 some newer venues may not have. So from our point of view, yeah. it's been tough, but okay. I mean, it probably costs us between ten and twelve thousand pounds a month to stay closed. Uh, that's after furlough and Jesus. all that stuff. That's just things like rent and and standing orders and you know we still have to pay electricity and water and all that. And if you think we've probably been closed for twelve of the fourteen months, the last fourteen months, it's, a, it's quite a lot of money. So that that's oh. been that's been challenging, but but okay. And we've had a lot of support. Um, there's one particular member who's been hugely hugely helpful in, in you know in supporting us, which is great. Um, and I, I kind of worry, to be honest, more about some of the other smaller venues than we've just received funding. Well, I haven't got it yet because for various reasons, but from the Arts Council and then CRF. Uh, so so that means we'll we'll be secure for at least the next twelve months. Uh, which is great, but yeah. but I, I I genuinely worry about the scene. I don't worry so much about us, but I really worry about some of the smaller venues, some venues that are not going to reopen. You know, it's yeah, it's, and it's a real trouble. I've been hearing that from from musicians as yeah. well, and you know, as soon as possible, everyone get back to your your local jazz club and, and do what you can. The other thing I was going to mention though, uh, Steve, is that you've been uh, churning out some awesome live streams and i get this obviously because i've seen a couple but also on hearty recommendation from my german parents-in-law who've got addicted to, to their saturday nights oh, in. Fantastic. they pop a bottle of wine they make they make like they're in lots road 
And their new favourite of all of them is Mornington Rocket. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I'm loving this. But um, yeah, no, they're, they're addicted. And they, they text me to apologise to say, oh, we won't be able to see the one on Saturday. I'm like, <laughs> it, it, I'm just so Fantastic. pleased you're into it. But, you know, I'm loving it. Have they been a success for you? Yeah, you have to define success, I guess. But but that that's a whole interesting kind of other conversation about live streaming and how it should be treated and what people should be doing um, with yeah. it and how you know venues should be approaching it and, and musicians, I think. And it, it is a pretty big conversation. What was interesting for us was that I'd already decided to start live streaming pre-COVID. So one of the reasons we managed to get our streams up so quickly and we managed to get the, the, you know, we've got this also this very large video library now of over 100 concert length videos in it. And, you know, we first got that set that up last May. I mean, this time last year, in fact. So it was because I'd already a friend of mine, he's a a, a professional cameraman uh, called Tony, called Uh Tony Day. And I'd approached him to say, you know, in 2019, to say, oh, I think we should start looking at doing some live streaming. And so he went in and said, yeah, great idea. So he, he'd already written a, a lighting plan and, and a camera plot for us, all this kind of stuff. It was already, it was already sitting in my inbox in January, pre, last year, pre-COVID, that I think we need to be doing this now. So we did. So that's how come we managed to get it up so quickly. We were pretty clear about what we wanted to do. I was driving this, I suppose, was I was pretty clear on what I wanted to do in this case. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have professional cameramen, professional sound guys, Tristan. You know, I like to think that it's probably one of the highest quality live streams on the internet at the moment. I mean, it makes such a difference. I was speaking to Tim Garland about yeah. uh, production yeah. qualities of streams. Um, and he's just saying, you know, how important it is to get, you know, great camera work, great lighting, you know, obviously money being one of the factors, but to to give the experience that matches the quality of the artists is, is, is really important. So I was just going to paint a little picture for people who may not know, but the the 606 club right if you can find it which is uh which is a which is a mission in itself on the lots road because it, it it doesn't have a great big glowing sign on it like ronnie's or something but you find it and then you go is this really it and you walk down these steps and you get to a door and it's properly like a movie you almost sort of knock on it and you go in and it's like is this it and then you open this another door and you walk into this amazing space and it is, it's not a cliche, it's just properly great. You've got the stage there and you've got the audience and everyone seemed really engaged with it. And it's a very, very special venue. And I know that with loads of artists, it's a place where they love playing. For you, Steve, how special is the atmosphere there? And how do you ensure it, it remains as such? Because you've got, what, 130-odd seats and trying to make that work. I mean, you spoke about the finances. There must be a lot of temptations to cut corners and do things differently. The, that, that whole thing that you described, that experience, I mean, that that is something that when we, as I say, we, we moved there and it was in, in, in 88. We, we, I actually, at least in 87, it was a hole in the ground. It was literally just a, 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 an empty basement with water running down the walls. That was it. Yeah, wow, yeah. Wow. So there was nothing there at all. Um, there was no electricity, no gas, no drainage, nothing. I mean, we, we had to dig our own drains. So it's kind of built in my image, I guess. Sounds a bit grand, but so it's it's pretty basic. So my image is pretty basic. But but I, I, I kind of wanted to take over the feel of the old club, which was a little basement, you know, with brick walls and all this kind of stuff in the King's Road. And I like that kind of intimacy. 
and that suit that yeah. suited me. That's kind of the sort of vibe I like. And I've often been asked people, you know, it's not unusual. I suppose people say, oh, I'm setting up a venue. Can you give me some advice? And I always say, well, just just build it in the way that you feel comfortable being in. So if you like big signs and neon and and, and you know metal furniture, do that. Absolutely do that. It's important you feel comfortable in your own venue. So for me, I like that kind of New York sort of you know Paris nightclub vibe. So yeah. that's what I built, basically, and and that's what I liked, and that what suited me. I, I didn't I didn't do it with anything else in mind. I just thought, well, you know, this is what I like, and then so hopefully like-minded people will like it as well. And and this idea Absolutely. of going down the stairs and going through the door again—that's something that that is actually not coincidental. I remember a few years back we had a meeting and some of my team were saying, well, I think we should put pictures up the walls and put stuff on the lobby and do all this. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And I really, I want to keep it, you know, basic and you come in and then exactly that. You open the door and then it's like, oh, Gosh. yeah, there's a jazz club in the basement, you know. So keeping that isn't particularly difficult. I mean, we're, 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 gonna, we're about to paint it now, actually, funnily enough. So we're taking the opportunity while we're closed. And we're reopening in a couple of weeks' time, May the... Well, a couple of weeks time from this recording, I should say. So we're reopening on May the May the yeah. 20th is when we'll reopen. So we'll probably, you know, tidy it up a bit. But but everything we do is with that is with that aim in mind of making it relaxed and comfortable. And what I'd like to describe is the antidote to nightclubs. I don't particularly feel comfortable in night, in sort of official kind of nightclubs. So it's you know warm and friendly and. You know that that's the, that's the vibe. I think the word I will pick out from the ones you said, which is my perspective, is the intimacy. Yeah. If if you really want to get that sense of proximity and closeness to the musicians, I, I, there there are no better venues as far as I'm concerned. No, I was just going to say one of the reasons at the very beginning was we weren't going to have a stage, so there's no raised stage. Partly practical reasons, but also because I like the idea of the musicians, and I'm a musician, and I know what it's like of being on the same level. As a musician, you can see the the whites of their eyes, you know, and that's great. And for the audience, it's the same. They kind of, you know, the ones at the front feel like they're almost sitting on the bandstand. That again is intentional. Absolutely, that's the idea that we purposely yeah. didn't. And put it's a funny, stage I'd in. never really thought about that, and it's totally obviously true. So, question: What what, have, what has been your most memorable performance <laughs> there? Or you know, or performances? There've been loads, I'm sure, over the years. But which ones come to mind? Uh, I've got to be honest. I try not to get into that most memorable one because because every favorite child exactly and all that. every 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 artist you know is special and, and it, it really is. And I know it sounds like I'm trying to avoid the question, but but I'm not really. I mean, I've been doing this for 40 years and I've been, you know, it's over 30 years in the club. So there's just loads of them. I mean, there are just so many of them, you know, I you know the first night, I still remember that the very first night when we opened and, and my friend, Ronnie Scott, who played Ronnie, Ronnie Scott. Oh, Ronnie, yeah, yeah. Cool. So Ronnie and I were very close and, and he, um, he kind of mentored me, I suppose, in a way, uh, which was really sweet. And, and I remember because he used to come to the old club and then I remember pretty much once a week, we were closed for nine months. So we, we closed the old club in, in the October 87 and, and then we opened the new venue where we are now in Lots Road in, in May 1988. Yeah. And Ronnie rang me every week. So how's it going? And you know, let me know when you're ready to open and all that stuff. So, so you know, it was a pretty logic, pretty simple logical step, really, to ask him to be the first band to play there. So I remember that really clearly, funnily enough. And he also did our first anniversary and our fifth anniversary. So I remember that. That was, I suppose, that was memorable because it was the first gig in the new venue, and that that really, really sticks in my mind. 
but there have been so many fans. Yeah, you've, I was particularly taken with your 30th anniversary programme as well, because it was just such a broad, yeah. broad mix. And for me, it just really summed it up from, you know, singers to horn players from the odd name you might not have heard of. And you even ended up with Jamie Cullum, right? Oh, Jamie, yeah. Jamie started, well, he didn't start at the club, it's not entirely fair to say that, but certainly his, it was his first London, regular London gig. And uh, oh. I remember on that anniversary, I looked up actually, I can't remember what the date was, 2004 or 2005, I think it was something like that. And I found my, my booking diary, you know, and, and, and they, they were on sort of 40 yeah. pounds each or something. Time for the trio, you know. <laughs> and I used to sit in and play with him. And then there was a period where he, when he, after he made it, and he used to come to the club. And before he got married and had kids, but he used to come and sit in my band. And I mean, he's a he's a really good guy. And also very. T- I got I got a bit. Well, it upsets me a bit strong, but I, I, you know, when when Jamie first made it, there was there was a certain amount of negativity around him and his press, and and I, which I thought was was seriously unwarranted. I mean, he is really talented he's really good at what he does he's really professional he writes really well um he takes the music seriously so he's a you know he's a he's a good guy i mean you know i mean little things i can remember jeff gascoigne at the time was his bass player I mean, he's got a different band now but i remember him yeah. going on tour as a piano player in jeff's band and he'd already was pretty well known by then he'd already had the deals and stuff and he took some time out to just do a tour with jeff's jazz thing just because he wanted to get his jazz jobs more together and it was a tough gig and so you know he's he's a serious musician yeah. and takes his stuff seriously so so yeah jamie's great and you know and people like hamish stewart from the average white band who was a regular there for years and still comes and we've had the you know i mean obviously nice. we don't just do the jazz thing i mean that's 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 kind of the an important part of what we do we do other stuff as well so you know like the tommy blaze band which is the guys from strictly come dancing that band those kind of studio yeah. guys which is great. And then people like Jim Mullen and Claire Martin and Leanne Carroll. I kind of discovered Leanne. That was another funny story. And so, you know, Leanne did her first gig at the club in 94, I think it was, and nobody ever heard of her at the time. So there's, but I mean, it's, it's endless, really. You know, you mentioned Tim Garland, Jason Ribello. I mean, it just goes on and on, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable backlist. So that sort of brings me on to another question. How, how do you ensure that jazz do, doesn't dominate everything and there is space for, for other music? I mean, what, what's your approach to, to picking who's on or, or what, what the focus should be? Is there an, you know, isn't there an equation? <laughs> I wish. But, but, I mean, there's certain things like Monday nights tend to be more sort of grooving indie nights and Sunday nights are singers. And that gives us the opportunity not to have jazz singers, which you have a lot of. You know, Leanne Carroll is doing right. the first Sunday. Uh, Polly Gibbons is doing the second Sunday. So, you know, we do that. But then we also have great singers like Wayne Hernandez, who's a fantastic soul singer, and Imani, who's one of the lead singers oh, yeah. with Incognito. Um, so, you know, Beverly Skeets in, in coming. So... And I like that. I mean, I, I'm, I, I think it's really healthy. To, you know, I like listening to different musics. Uh, so as, as a number of people famously said, I think it was Duke Ellington is when I heard it, but which is that, that you know, that, that, that famous saying, there's only two types of music. You know, there's good music and bad music. <laughs> that, and that's, you know. Oh, I love it. And that's it. And so, and so, you know, there's some pop music which is really awful and there's some pop music which is great, you know. And there's there's some jazz which is really good and there's some jazz which is really not so good and so you know and and, yeah, and yeah. so it's 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 about the music and i and i enjoy that and i enjoy you know listening to different types of music and although you know the thrust of what we do is is unquestionably jazz it's always jazz on a saturday night and you know the weekdays and stuff but yeah. I, but i enjoy finding different talented artists people that that you know gwyneth herbert's a really interesting example of that a wonderful artist who started out 
as a jazz when I first booked her when she was 21, she was doing sort of jazz standards and, you know, doing all that stuff. And now, yeah. you know, she's in her 30s and, and, and she's turned into this most fantastic singer-songwriter, you know, one of the best in the country, I'd say, you know, which is not really that jazz-based, but, but it's just, we love that gig. It's fabulous. And, you know, she's really, really good at what she does. It's good music. It must be so gratis- gratifying to see the progress because you've been doing the, the gig, so to speak, long enough to see people develop and change in their careers and then really find their feet, which is uh, it's an amazing thing. To yeah, work. I mean, actually, one thing I should say, actually, relative to what you to the question you asked, actually, is that is that I do one of the policies I do have which is a fairly simple policy is I do try and make sure it's a bit difficult at the moment because we're only functioning. We, we will be opening just four nights a week for the first couple of months while we get settled again after all this mm-hmm. madness. But by September, we should hopefully be back up to seven nights a week. And I do have a policy. Great stuff. Yeah, he's yeah he's hoping. I do have a policy of trying to book at least one new band a month, at least one. And by new band, I just mean somebody that's never performed at the Six Hundred Six Club before. So they don't necessarily have to be young, um, although obviously that tends to be how it goes, but not always. Sure. But I have a policy of trying to do at least one, hopefully two, new artists to the Six Hundred Six Club every single month, so that it doesn't become too cliquey, so that we break it down. You know, so that I am bringing new people in and keeping an eye out. You know, I mean, the latest person that I, that yeah. I came across um, who I booked pretty much as soon as I heard him was Deshanel Gordon. Have you come across Deshanel? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're loving Yeah, Deschanel. so Deshanel's yeah, great. Yeah. Now, that was way before I knew nothing about the BBC, you know, this whole jazz musician yeah. thing. Um, in fact, that, in fact, I only found out about it after I'd booked him. And then we say, can you give us some information? about you know what you've been doing and they came through oh yeah and i'm in the semi-finals of the bbc young jazz musician what he'd never mentioned it at all it's like, it's like well yeah well that was yeah that was when the next time i saw him you know so he sent that to oh yeah i'm doing this i said oh wow okay cool good luck you know i, I but i'd already booked him and i thought it was great and of course the next time i saw him he'd won it Love so it. but that was that was kind of coincidental because i'd already booked him you know so it's that kind of thing. I do try and yeah. keep an eye out for, for players. Alex uh, Hitchcock is another one who's who's fantastic young player. Yeah. And, and there's a whole ton of them, you know, coming through. So so I do try and keep an eye on that. And, you know, we also we also yeah. have a one night a month that we give to musicians, students from the from the um, the Royal Academy from Ram, you know, and, and we've been in that a long time. And that's a great way of a, they get a chance to do a gig in a professional setting, which I must admit, when we first agreed to do that, I did say um, it was Gerard Presenter at the time that, you know, it's fine, but, they, you know, they need to treat this gig as a professional gig. They're getting paid for this, because I don't believe in people getting working for nothing. It's not right. Um, so, and, and they always have, Absolutely. but we've been doing this for years now, and I've never had a problem ever, you know. So, again, that kind of thing is I try and do and keep an eye on who's coming through and to make sure it doesn't get stale. Well, now hold on. Stale has made me think of the next uh, section of this interview. And stale, I hope it is not. Steve Ruby, are you ready for my brand new quickfire quiz challenge? No. <laughs> <laughs> really not. It's called the Steve Ruby Murray Curry, but maybe Gumbo Quizbo Culinary Music Pairing Challenge. And all I need you to do is suggest what you think the right pairing of food and musician will be. So... Please note, listener, that you'll find all of these dishes on the 606's yummy menu. Sonny Rollins, sea bass or ribeye steak? Ah, sea bass. Lewis Armstrong, the crayfish salad or the teriyaki chicken? Uh, crayfish. I think he'd have liked that as well. 
So where's from the south as well, sorry. <laughs> Carla Blay, the grilled goat's cheese or the black turtle bean burger? Hmm. I would say on... Yeah, I would go bean burger, I think, for Carla. There's something very pure about what she does. You know, it's kind of... It's meat-free, I think, Carla's stuff, you know. Oh, that's an awesome answer. Miles Davis, the club nachos or the Greek salad? <laughs> oh, it's really be something spicy for, for Miles, shouldn't it? Um, yeah, I would have thought. Um, so the nachos, yeah, for Miles, he was he was a spicy <laughs> character, I think it's fair to say. Love it. We've got two musicians left. So, Jelly Roll Morton. Do you Drinks menu. I think, Jelly, no question. No question. Didn't even have to stop and think about that one. <laughs> um, and finally, the man of the hour, Jamie Cullum. Will he be taking the grilled Cumberland sausages or the Thai chicken curry? We need to know. They probably tell me he's a vegan or something. No, no, that's not what I know of. Uh, although, <laughs> actually, I think he, I think he, last time we, we chatted, I think he might be turning vegetarian. Oh, but, but, yeah, I know. But, um, but I think at the end of the day, I'm going to go, what was it again? Thai chicken curry? Or so what he's was got the, the sausages option? or the curry? Sausages. No, I'm going to go curry, I think. I'm yeah, going to go curry so. because because it's a bit, you know, that it's there's lots of different flavours and lots of different things going on within that curry. And that's like Jamie's got so much different stuff going on within I his music. It. So I, I, I think curry. Yeah. Bam. And let me just tally up. Yeah, you got 76 points, which is a, a fantastic score and currently puts you at the, at the leaderboard of your own quiz. So you should be very pleased oh. with yourself. <laughs> um, out of interest, what is the average 606 Club Punter's favourite dish? Do you sell more of something than not? Funnily enough, it varies. So the nachos, which you mentioned before, are very popular. I suppose in the starters, the, the nachos are really up there. Um, and, and actually, the, the you mentioned the goat cheese. So those are kind of staples. We keep them as staples because they are so popular. I love Right, we're almost there. Um, but I have, as listeners will know, a set question for you, Steve. Um, my set okay. question for you is, should you poke it or should you leave things to smoulder? Discuss. So, but just just as a general question, I'm always up for poking. I'm nice. always up for for let's see, let's see, you know, let's poke the bear and see and see what what we get. Oh, um, because if you if you don't do that, you don't know how to move forward to the, to, you know, you don't need, you don't know if you need to run away from the bear or make friends with it until you kind of woken it up. So, you know, it's that very definitely. Um, I would definitely say yeah, shake things up a bit. It's always it's always my motto, you know nice and a better jazz answer we couldn't have wished for thank you um right you knew this one was coming because i gave you a little warning but it's still a tricky <laughs> question yeah. right so steve ruby what are your top three albums of all time okay so i struggle a bit with albums so i struggle to remember the names of albums one of the albums i would go with is under milk wood oh stan tracy's under milk wood which nice. which not which featured Two people I knew well, Stan, and and somebody who was a really close friend was Bobby Wellens, okay. um, who was who who I you know we we were very close, and I you know Bobby played at the club for many years. Why I picked that album actually was because I first heard that album in the late sixties when I was still at school, and it's one of the albums that really inspired me to play saxophone, and it's one of the albums that really inspired me in terms of getting interested in jazz. We have it locked in. Yeah, that's great. Next. Uh, then I think I have to go uh, Charlie Parker. You've pictured me behind me. So, you know, there's just, there's so much in those albums. 
What should we go with? The entire back catalogue, or have you got a yeah, special one? Yeah, but, yeah, no, let's go with the entire back catalogue, because, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm treating this like Desert Island Discs, so there's loads and loads of solos that I still have to learn. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you so think cheats, uh, but we'll allow it. There's a lot of music there to get down, so, you know, um, Sonny Rollins, who's, who I was a huge fan of, um, Coltrane, this, two of those, two or three of those albums are just unmissable, you know. So I, I love those. Bill Evans, who, who's just a huge fan of, and then there's, you know, there's UK artists as well. But I'm going to go with somebody as my third choice that you may not, hopefully you'll know, but you may not. So I'm going to go with this, and this is a, this is a, a fantastic flute player. And the people who see me play probably know that flute is is kind of you know a major instrument for me, and he is a character called Harold McNair. Okay. Have you ever come across Harold? Do you know Harold McNair? I know the name, a lot of pe- but I don't, a lot of I don't have don't. his albums. One of the, the he made a fantastic album called Flute and a Nut, Ooh. which was which is he's Harold was based in the UK. He came over in the in the early sixties, late late fifties, early sixties, um, and and was to my mind one of the greatest jazz flute players of all time. I mean, amazing, remarkable player with an incredible technique, but just great jazz chops. Um, and that and that album, Flute and Up by Harold Nero, is probably the epitome of, of just genius jazz flute playing. What an amazing uh, three uh, selections we've got. So we've got Under Milkwood, Stan Tracy. We've got the entire catalogue of Charlie Parker, brackets, big Absolutely. cheat. And we have uh, an absolute cork of a recommendation from harold mcnair for flute and up so final task you're on the home straight now i'm going to introduce you to our house band and this this house band will trouble you as much as it troubles me if i was thinking about paying their wages so once where there were seven there are now 11 and we're growing like topsy but it still remains the tightest slickest sickest band in podcast show business up front on reeds is the indomitable vi red On trombone, we've got James Morrison, and on trumpet, Dizzy Gillespie. In the back line, we've got Gene Harris on piano, Shirley Tete on guitar, bassists, Jaco Pistorius and Christian McBride. We have Terry Lynn Carrington on drums, Leanne Carroll on vocals, hurrah, and thanks for uh, Jazz Deep last week, we've now got Zakir Hussein on tabla. Plus, if that's not enough, we're under the baton of Duke Ellington, who's duking around out front, and... We have an official band artist in the form of Roger Dean. Now, I don't expect you to remember all of that, but... I don't. <laughs> my gift to you, Steve, my, my opportunity for you is to have a little review of the band and select one of the players to have a little break and a rest so we can sub in, sub in some new talent. Who in that band do you think you'd like to swap out because they'll be dying for a wee and they'll be very happy to stop? Uh, and have a moment. Uh, who would you like to swap, and why? I would get Sonny Rollins in there I think, because he's one of the greatest saxophone players of all time. And and I didn't pick his album um, because uh, I ran out of album space. So um, so I, I would definitely want to get Sonny in there for sure. Uh, I think he I think he would be a huge a huge uh, benefit. You know, addition to any any band. Um, but I'm really reluctant to take anybody out. I think that's a bit harsh. Well, you see, you know, Steve, I can't think of anybody I would take out. You're, 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 you're a jazz man, but you're a commercial jazz band. So in that sense, if you're going to allow us to go from 11 to 12 and go hang the consequences, I am very, very, very happy to add Sonny Rollins to the band and he can stand alongside Vi Red. 
and uh, she continues her lucky streak or her wonderful <laughs> her wonderful run of, of, of... she was great actually Byron yeah, I mean man. you know there, there's some and uh, I mean because the other great um, trombone player from that who was Melba Liston of course oh yes of course you know Melba yeah. Melba Liston was also brilliant who, who who was in who was in that in the band in in, in uh, the 30s but the, the, Melba Liston um, here's a bit not many people know this but Go Melba on. Liston gave up music to become a doctor really so she yeah she became a medic yeah so she gave up being a professional trombone a player talented and, woman and started yeah amazing woman so somebody should make a movie about her Anyway, so so going back to what we talked about, so I'm going to put Sonny Rollins in, and I know that Sonny would be really distressed if I took someone out to replace him. He would probably wouldn't do it under those circumstances. So I think, you know, job done. We're just gonna we're just gonna have to add him. We're, this is not a problem, and I cannot tell you the joy it gives me to finally have Sonny in the band. So, thank you so much for being with us today, Steve. Um, we cannot wait to to get back to the club. By the time this goes out, it will be back open four days a week uh, and hopefully come September onwards seven days and we can all be there what's the uh, website address for people that want to check it out it's uh, www.606club.com easy and you can book on there and see what's coming you up can book on there and also all our live streaming is on there you know we're, we're live streaming we're going to continue to live stream Saturdays and Sundays with the restreams on Tuesdays and Wednesdays so basically there's going to be four options four streams a week up there and we're going to keep doing that once we've reopened so so if you can't make the gig then make the stream unbelievable that is so fantastic thank you so if you've liked what you've listened to make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our valuable episodes if you want to know more about the Watford Jazz Junction just check out our website at watfordjazzjunction.com you can follow us on Twitter Facebook Instagram and of this week TikTok who even knew there was such a thing um, you can also all email us as ever at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com but only to say nice things and next time we are in conversation with the flawless vocalist Luca Manning now don't forget to keep your ears fresh and always connect with something new so it's goodbye listener it's goodbye the fantastic Steve Ruby cheers thanks for asking me and it's goodbye from me bye <laughs>